You're listening to the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the world-leading tech incubator, the DMZ. In this podcast, each episode brings in the movers and shakers of the world to cover leadership mentality, tips for business owners, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's your host, Canada's leading podcaster, CPA and business strategist, Robert Gold, managing partner at Bennett Gold LLP. Once again, from high atop the Movers and Shakers Podcast Center in Toronto, way up where we moved to the 87th floor this week, live and in the morning, I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Binnacle LLP, Chartered Accountants and CPAs in Toronto, and way off to the north this week, I can see Bruce County, Ontario. Why can I see Bruce County? Because Nicholas Richenbach is with us. Nicholas is the founder and executive chairman, Flow Alkaline Spring Water, the greatest water in the world. It comes from Bruce County. Nicholas, welcome to the Movers and Shakers podcast. Thank you, Robert. Always great to speak to you, and I'm very pleased to be on the show. And this, our fans won't necessarily know unless they've been following us together over the last number of years. This is our third interview together, but this is our first one for the DMZ, so I'm pretty excited. But in the way of full transparency, years ago when you and I first met, I was so excited by what you're doing with Flow. You invited me in to be one of the early shareholders, and I am, and it's been a great little company to watch, and hopefully it will be my retirement fund, but more about that later. Okay, Nicholas, let's just do a little bit of background here. Flow Alkaline Spring Water, it's the fastest growing premium water brand in North America. It was founded by you only six years ago. You're a serial mission-driven entrepreneur. Flow today is recognized as a leader in the wellness and sustainability space, which in fact is a new space along with ESG and all that other technical talk. And plus you're a B Corp certified company with 17.5 million customers or more across North America. Walk us through the journey of creating Flow. And and I think I've heard the story from you hundred times. I never tire of it. What sparked the idea of getting into this water business? Well, it's been one very interesting journey, uh, Robert. I'm glad to speak to you today. Five years after we launched the brand and, you know, six years into the inception of the company, and it's been, you know, just an entrepreneur's dream to be able to see such a launch of a product, great market pickup of the brand and and the expansion of, of it leading into, as you said, the fastest growing premium water in North America, having 17.5 million customers that truly love the brand and love uh, love drinking flow and what we stand for. So it's been a great journey. With any journey, it all starts off with an epiphany of, of, of such. And my epiphany, being a serial entrepreneur, flow is my 11th company. Most of my companies before that were consumer product tech, which I did for the last 20 years from video games to ringtones and any, anywhere in between great CRM software. And uh, so I got really a good, fine, many years experience building great consumer products. And this one was a little more near and dear to me because Flow's source of the high alkaline artesian spring water was up until I sold the spring, was my family's artesian spring that I grew up on my entire life in South Bruce County and been with us for five generations and releases about a million liters a day of the highest quality still mineral water sold in North America. So that's a little serendipity in life. I had wanted to uh, develop the spring commercially before but my father was never, uh, well, let's just say he was opposed. <laughs> old school. Um, old school, but he was opposed to it. He didn't want to commercially develop it. He's a conservationist. He didn't want to ruin the 
the property, and well, he didn't want to do it, period, because uh, he didn't want to have anything to do with plastic or plastic factories in our hometown or our county that has less than you know, a couple thousand people in it. So fast forward, you know, I sold one of my companies and moved to uh, San Francisco to kind of run the company and you know, kind of live the Silicon Valley train. At the tail end of my tender there, I attended a festival called Burning Man, as you do when you live in live in Silicon Valley, and you want the next epiphany. And after attending the festival, Burning Man, one thing was very clear at the end of it, that having drank four liters of water a day out of plastic bottles, and there were 70,000 people doing that for seven days, and we all recycled the, the plastic under one very large mountain of plastic. And, I, you know, it occurred to me, I just looked at the mountain of plastic, and I said, there has to be a better way. There's got to be a way that we can do this with plant-based material that is compostable, that's renewable resources that are not plastic, because this is this is definitely not going away. And that was the spark that started slow. I wrote a long letter to my father and said, what kind of legacy do we want to have on the earth? Let's make it a positive one. Let's change the way people are drinking premium mineral water. Let's put it in a plant-based package that's you know, 100% recyclable, 70% compostable, and moving to 100%. And let's disrupt the status quo of people drinking out of single-use plastic and uh, change the world and make it a better place. You know what I think? I think that letter to your dad belongs enshrined somewhere in the flow head office and headquarters. Just You know, you walk into <laughs> law firms, you walk into government offices, there's something under glass. I think that letter, which started it all, that letter should be enshrined somewhere in the world headquarters of flow. You know what? what? I'm going lo- to look for that letter. I haven't, I haven't found that letter in a while. Oh, I think I think you should. Right, let's talk about product innovation because over the last year and a half, the pandemic threw a wrench in the business plans of every beverage company around the world. Stores saw a massive decline of foot traffic. Most summer activities were canceled, so sales went into the tank for a lot of the beverage companies, but not for Flow. You guys managed to adapt to changing times. You saw 44% growth in revenue. At the same time, you were also launching an industry-leading collagen-infused beverage line. I marvel at your various flavors all the time. So let me ask you a question. As a business leader, how did you handle the uncertainty of 2020 as you were going into it, and then all of a sudden you have this sudden growth in such a short period of time? What were the hurdles there? You know, it's uh, it's funny, you know, 2020 was an incredibly challenging year for us. And I mean us being humanity. And even though despite some people did good, other people did bad, it was all just an extremely challenging year and from a multitude of different reasons. So it really did take a very out-of-box thinking approach to turning a negative into a positive. And how do we do that? And so... A couple things, Robert. One, we were extremely fortunate on the timing of 2020. We had just completed the majority of a Series D financing that was led from uh, some of our uh, celebrity investors like Post Malone, Sean Mendez, Russell Westbrook. So we had completed almost, I think, around 35 million U.S. dollars, and the round closed on March 6th, 2020. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And March 9th is when the stock markets reacted to COVID. The U.S. market in Canada reacted to COVID. And so we were capitalized moving into our growth period. And then the second thing that was interesting is that uh, water is an essential product. 
and people were pantry loading all essential products just to make sure that they were going to be able to get it and have enough to survive what they thought or what we thought was only going to be about eight weeks or so, right? March was record numbers for us. Uh, as we saw and shipped pallets of pallets of water to all of our 10,000 locations across North America. And then e-com also exploded for us during the month of March and April. So we saw a significant amount of revenue growth in those two months. But then reality sank in, which is, you know, people were locked down, the foot traffic and retail were going down, and our revenue started to stabilize after that big burst. But what really allowed us to innovate in the space uh, was really focus in on where we could uh, help our customers the most, okay? When we started the company, it was all about product innovation, meaning like, you know, the package innovation, uh, the sustainability, and we put it out there. Like, we're like, okay, we want to sell this in uh, to health and wellness. But what happened over the, our journey is that we amassed a huge amount of customers, 17.5 million doubling every year. And those customers started to really drive our innovation cycle, but also they became the voice of the brand, but they also became the mindset of our management team. And what we want to do is make sure that we satisfy and serve our customers. And that's what really got us through COVID because after the initial burst, we really focused in on how do we deliver our hydration products and product innovation to our consumer in the best way. So no doubt that e-com revenue increased and maintained its increase throughout COVID, but we also were really fine-tuning the entire organization to be able to serve them better and faster. So we got our delivery systems across North America delivering within 48 hours our packages and we, we made sure that our direct-to-consumer communication, our customer service was up to par. And then we serviced our retailers like Whole Foods and Loblaws and Metro and all of our big retailers. We serviced them more and more rapidly so that people weren't running out of stock when they were able to go in. And on top of that, we participated in all of their direct-to-consumer initiatives like Grocery Gateway, owned by Longo's and all of their e-com fulfillment when people weren't going into the grocery store. So that's how we pivoted it through COVID and really allowed ourselves to really dig deep into the customer experience and make sure that we were following our customer to give the, the, our products when they want it, where they want it, and obviously for the price they want it. On top of that, we launched Collagen. We saw a significant amount of delays in the launches of Collagen but we were able to get that new product out in the hands of our consumers through e-com and a couple of our leading retailers that really allowed us to get a little more innovation into the revenue cycle, but also we just built on the core and then we were able to get 44% growth throughout that period and maintain it into, into 2021. So, Nicholas, you walked right into my next question. That has to do with product innovation, allowing you to find new spaces to serve new customers in different ways. That's exactly what you said you did. So how would you describe successful product innovation, meaning what are the steps, the initial steps that founders should take before launching a new product? Now, I know that that's an essay, that's a movie, but if you can give us like three points that you think are key, I'd love to hear them. It's a very interesting question because it could be answered traditionally or it could be answered through the eyes of an entrepreneur, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so traditionally, there would be a lot of stuff that you would do to product innovation. Uh, you'd go through R&D, and you would go through customer insight, and you would find the innovation that you feel is the white space where you can play. You'd do competitive analysis, pricing analysis, channel analysis, and all that stuff. And it would take you about three or four months just to get all that stuff done to be able to make a decision on product innovation. And then you'd put it out, and it'd take you another six to six to eight months, and then the whole year would be finished. But when you're at this stage in a company, which is like a jumpstart growth stage, and even in the startup uh, stages of a company, you have to be way more scrappy than that. Because you don't have the resources to do that. You don't have the time. And sometimes you go with what you know. You go with the flow. <laughs> exactly. But you go you go with what you know, which is you have a, a dial into a customer, you have products out there, and you know you want to innovate in the space. And so we did a quick and easy survey, you know, find out what people want to infuse in our, our products. And we came up with a top five list. And that top five list is the guiding principle of our product innovation. And we did it so that it was statistically relevant, which means it was over 10,000 people. So you can get a 1% variance in accuracy uh, with that many sample size. So we're fortunate enough to have a consumer base that we're participating, and we came up with a top five list. No surprises, 75% of our 17.5 million customers are female and in the health and wellness space. And the hottest ingredient in uh, health and wellness for beauty was collagen. So we were, had our eyes on collagen for a while. We're like, you know, we need to innovate in this space. The other one was vitamins and immunity. And so we already announced in February that we're coming out with an organic certified vitamin-infused water. And we'll get this out in 2022. So we, those were the top two. And once we knew that, we just ran getting it through R&D and all that stuff. Now, with collagen, we were fortunate enough to buy the product line from an entrepreneur and a food scientist uh, that had developed a beautiful collagen line that we're using our facilities because we have facilities in Canada and the U.S. that do other branded beverages for companies that are similar to us that like organic certification and natural products. And we can put anything in a Tetra Prisma, which is the format that we use for Flow. So we have, I'd say, about 15 customers that use our facilities, uh, both in Canada, to produce anywhere from coffees, teas, juices, sports recovery beverages, and water You know, with us. And so when this collagen company came in, it was called Boons, B-O-N-O-O-N-S, I tasted the product. I loved it. And I said, you know what? Why would we build this if we can just partner with Boone, buy the formula, get it out there in our distribution, and she became a shareholder of Flow. Um, and we put the product out really fast, so we had speed to market. That's why we're able to get it out in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we bought the company in Jan- uh, bought the product line in January, and we had it out in the middle of the summer. So we circumvented that by buying versus building. And then with vitamin water. Uh, we decided on on that. We then 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 we basically just plowed it into R and D, and we're coming out the other end of R and D uh, with our our all of our tests and certifications and all that stuff. So we're super excited about that. So in summary, two ways of doing it: the traditional way, which will take you a year, and you do a lot of analysis, or you just really hone in on a customer and and you you identify the white space in it, and then go through just developing an amazing product that tastes great, that delivers on 
all of the promises of what the brand was, in this case, flow, and check off organic, check off no sugar, check off environmentally forward, check off does our customer, our wellness consumer want it, and uh, is that the price range that we can deliver that? So that, that's how we do product innovation. A little more scrappy and fast, but we shave off at least half the time. Well, that's the beauty of being a, a small organization. As, as large, as high as your sales may be, and with these plants, and I've been to your plants and their incredible robotic operations, you're still a very fleet of foot, scrappy little operation. But you used the term a couple of times just now, and you used it a half a dozen times in our first conversation, and that's white space. And I know it's white space that drives you as a serial entrepreneur into new areas. Can we just spend a couple of minutes talking about white space? Absolutely. I love white space. Go for it. <laughs> white space, a lot of people have written about that, you know, Harvard Business Review, all the way through to uh, Crossing the Chasm was one of the first books in the late 90s that really started identifying this white space. White space is basically consumers' intent to purchase is going in a direction where the current product offerings are not. And so it creates this white space where there's a lot of these young disruptive small companies that are servicing a customer base that's moving in a different direction than the, I would call the status quo or where the industry are producing products. And this happens all the time, right? So you have like your early adapters that are moving innovation in that space forward faster than anyone can innovate. Then people are seeing them move in that direction and then they try to move fast to try to catch that market share. And depending on what the product is, you can shift large percentages of the industry through early adoption. Probably 15% of all the products are sold to early adopters. The vast amount are sold in the later stages of, of the development cycle of, of, of any industry. But that 15% is enough to start shifting and so people that identify that white space, the first 15%, and they create products for the white space, larger industries, they're not able to follow that fast. And you're able to get significant amount of market share, you know, 15 to 20% of a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar industry is massive amount of market shifting that's happening at any given time. And that's the white space. And I've always developed products in the white space by just identifying consumers' intent to purchase and seeing the gap between where what people want versus what they're getting, and then you develop products within that. That is great insight and great advice. So our entrepreneurs and business owners and managers across the country heed the white space information from Nicholas. That's so key. Nicholas, I want to talk about marketing, influencers, partnerships, because you've been all over the place with that very successfully. And the flow marketing has been pivotal to your success, I know, transforming water into a symbol of wellness, health, sustainability. You've done everything you can to make that true. Plus, you've attracted big celebrity influencers, Sean Mendes, Gwyneth Paltrow, Halle Berry, Russell Westbrook, Coldplay. That's just a few of them. Tell me about these partnerships. You fostered these partnerships with major brands in the wellness industry, including Whole Foods, SoulCycle. How important have influencers and influence been in cultivating the brand that we know today? Just today, this morning, I was reminding my team how important this activity is. And it's one of the most difficult things to pull off. But it can also be one of the most powerful things that you can pull off if it's done in the right way. Back to the white space, when you have all this consumer intent to purchase and 
it's driven by early adopters. Early adopters tend to be super users and influencers into the later adoption of the product. So this is a scientific fact, you know, that the early adopters are usually promoters of the product. They're the ones that push it into the mainstream and that you get the follow-on later adoption to late, late adoption and you get the whole rise. But these core 15%, they will carry it through. And if you can engage with them to be able to help promote your product, that's when the magic happens. And so when you have that and you can really cultivate it at scale, you can really build a platform, a promotional platform in the cheapest way with the most organic recommendations that you want when you're launching a product. Now, of course, you have to have a great product. All this falls apart if you don't have a great product. Okay, of so course. like first you got to nail the product. If you don't nail the product, you don't have anything. Like if the taste off or in, in CPG or if the technology doesn't work or there's bugs or this, like you all fall apart. So number one, you got to nail the product. Once you nail the product, that's the beta phase. Once you nail beta and you know you have consumer adoption and you love the metrics and the KPIs, key performance indicators that you're getting back from it, whether it's CPG or tech or anything, then you follow through with how do you amplify that. And so we track it through what's called a net promoter score. And for those that are listening that don't know what that is, it's a score that's very simple. You ask your customers one question, how likely on a scale of one to a hundred would you be to recommend this product or service to a friend, a trusted friend? And this is how Net Promoter Score gives the life uh, of the, the healthiness and the stickiness of your product or service to a consumer base, which is called brand loyalty, right? And so we track it through Net Promoter Score. By the way, this is a Flow plug. Flow has the highest Net Promoter Score of any beverage company in the world. Fabulous. It's got an 82, and an 82 makes a higher Net Promoter Score than companies like Apple and Netflix. So you can start to see where this is super important. So how do you get a better net promoter score? How do you get deeper into the experience of a customer? Well, it's through influencers. And influencers are those early adopters. They're your customers that really want to be engaged with. They want to recommend this product to uh, their friends. Now you got to give them a platform for it. So our platform is we literally have uh, 2,000 plus influencers that get our water. They buy it. They get it. They either get it on a discount or they buy it full pop or we send it to them. New product innovation will send out to them. And we engage with them constantly to be able to recommend this to their friends, put it online on their social posting and amplify it. And that we started doing from day one. So we've, we've been doing that for thousands of people every month, get our product and really start to amplify it. 1,000 turns into times 10, which is 100,000. And now 100,000 people are trying your product every month. And then another 100,000 turns into 12 months. That's 1.2 million. It really amplifies from there. So that's the beginning part of it. Along the way, given what your product is, who it's attracting, you know, you start to engage with those influencers on a deeper level. I think I've mentioned before, but, you know, Sean Mendez, he was a customer of Flow, first and foremost. Uh, and we started engaging with him as a customer flow. He loves the brand. He loves the product. 
And that's how he got involved with the with the company. And same with Halle Berry, same with Coldplay, same with Russell Westbrook, as well as Post Malone and Gwyneth Paltrow. All of them were customers of Flow first. And then we said, how do we want to work with our customers and provide a deeper level of influence and recommendation, all built around managing and monitoring our, our net promoter score against all of these activities. And that's how we really built it. And then the second part of it is distribution partnerships, right? So you've got people buying it, and then you've got distribution partnerships. Like, who is going to sell your product? Well, of course, you want that for the, the company that you're dealing with to really match the same values as your product and your company as well and your consumers. So when you look at, like, who would be the best partner for Flow to sell our product, that's where you're like, oh, yeah, of course it's Whole Foods. Whole Foods is one of the best partners in the world that, uh, uh, that personifies health and wellness to the world and to the consumers and helps deliver against that product with amazing products like Flow and other products. That was an instrumental partnership for us to do and one that we continue to heavily support along with other partnerships like Sprouts in the U.S. and Target we just launched with, which is amazing, Loblaws uh, and the Natural Food Department. So we really start to build those partnerships. And then with SoulCycle and amazing gyms and all of the same things, which is promoting health and wellness and allowing that to, to be a part of your brand building exercise is pretty critical, right? You have the influencers within their own right, but also the brand that distribute the products also influence the brand itself. And those partnerships are super important. And how you leverage them is you basically deal with them like you would deal with a customer. How do you want your customer to recommend your product or service to other people? And if you can answer that, you can build great successful partnerships. So one of the best stories that I remember you telling when you said no to Josh Donaldson, the great Blue Jays player, that he wanted to be a celebrity a spokesperson, and you said no a number of years ago, and then he did come on board. Give us the two-minute story as to why we said no to Josh. <laughs> no, I, we didn't say no to Josh Donaldson. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> he was a customer of Flow. And I don't pay attention to baseball. And he was not the MVP of the MLB that year. It was the year before, it was 2015. His manager called up and he, they said, Josh really likes the water. Can you send him product to his apartment? And I started clicking on my computer and she's like, he's the third baseman player for the Blue Jays. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And that's when I said, well, look it, I'll, I'll definitely send product to his apartment. And she said, well, thank you so much. And she said, I'll call you after the playoff. Great, awesome. And then I never heard from them. And then he won the MVP of the MLB that year. And he was uh, moving down to Tampa and he wanted his water subscription brought to Tampa. And that's when we started talking about how do we work with each other on promoting our brands together. And Josh really found an alignment between flow and his health and wellness journey and saw that that journey could be something that we could promote together. And that's when we jumped down to Florida, did an amazing photo shoot with him and a Nike trainer uh, and launched our first international marketing campaign with him as the celebrity 
to really amplify our launch across Canada was hugely successful. Yeah, that was very exciting. Let me ask you this question, then I want to move on to another topic. But how do startups, like a pure startup, how do they successfully leverage partnerships, whether it's celebrity or Whole Foods? Because startups don't have an awful lot of leverage at all. So what are your hints or tips for them? You've got to focus on the product and the customer experience. Everything else is a reflection of your success. I think, Robert, what, what was special about Flow is we never went to anybody. They came to us every single time. That is amazing. Not, we never went to anybody. They came to us, and they all had one thing in common. They're Flow customers already. So I think you really got to follow the needle down where you can find it. And that is with your customers. Like, we're a very customer-centric company. We call it customer love. We live and breathe our customer love. And we follow it all the way down. Like, we watch all the social posts. And that's where we find these amazing partnerships. So, nail product, nail customer, then nail influence, right? Don't try to influence something unless you've nailed your product and then you've nailed your customer experience. Then follow it down and you'll find the influencers. They'll be there. This is great advice. We're going into great depth here. I really, really appreciate it. Let's talk about sustainability for a little bit because that is one of your founding pillars at Flow. You plan to make your packaging, right now it's almost 100% reusable, but by 2025, recyclable, compostable. You actively donate to charities that reduce plastic waste. You work alongside recycling companies to make recycling more accessible. This is all very, very impressive. But over the years, we've seen a rise in impact investing, sustainable organizations that are actually now outperforming their peers. We read about ESG all the time. In your opinion, how important is it today to have sustainability woven into the whole venture? When a startup starts up, how important is it for them to consider sustainability? used to be they had to build privacy in. Now, do we have to build in sustainability? I think about this quite often. I kind of gravitate towards back to, well, it depends on the industry. But now I'm actually starting to think, does it really depend on the industry? Does it really need to be that? straightforward, or is everything that we do as a human race need to be sustainable? And the answer is everything we need to do now as a human race needs to be sustainable. You know, whether it's mobile app development, you know, or uh, which is a very sustainable practice, digital in its own right, all the way through to CPG and everything in between, building buildings, doing this, doing that. I think if you are not thinking about your impact as a company and managing that impact, you're going to be left in the dust because everybody's moving towards a sustainable planet faster than any government organization could help us move or regulate it. And I think that that's really where we need to challenge ourselves, which is, is it really worth doing anything that's not promoting a sustainable planet at this stage? You know what I mean? With the advent of all of the negative stuff that is happening, there's reason and rationale for us to only do sustainable products and only invest in the future and invest in a sustainable future, not only for us, but for our generations to come. You know, and every company can take advantage of that. Us as a CA and CPA firm, we don't deliver paper anymore. We have a secure client portal. They can sign online. We're not incurring paper costs, not incurring mailing costs. But more importantly, there's no mail truck filling up and delivering our mail. We're not using a lot of trees and all the forestry. Like, you can really, every business can focus in on sustainability. I agree with you 100%. I want to move on to something else in your life, and that's Evolver Ventures. 
So on top of being a founder and the executive chairman of Flow, you're also the managing partner at Evolver Ventures. And Evolver, I know, provides strategic consultation and offers seed capital for startups. I really want to talk about this for a second. What sparked your interest in supporting and mentoring other entrepreneurs? We've all been there. And, you know, I'd like to offer, you know, much more advice and capital to, to help get that sector of investing in the future, you know, more active, especially in Canada where there's not a lot of opportunities outside of angel investors and high net worth individuals. There's not a lot of funds. There's not a lot of money flowing around to, to help entrepreneurs really build it in such a critical state. However, it is the riskiest stage of, of a business as well. It's where most things go wrong. And I think that's where people need great advice great access to capital, and a platform to be able to build against it. And Evolver Ventures delivers on all, all of those things. Great you know, advice, consultation, capital, and strategic direction. I've been doing that now for, I think it's been 20 years uh, over the course of my last 10 companies that I've invested in another, at least another uh, 10 or 15 companies in the last five years that uh, really fall within the same, the same mandate that flow would fall into, you know, are you making the world a better place? You know, you know, is it disruptive? Is there a white space? All that stuff. And I'll continue to do that as, as much as I possibly can with the time that I have. Well, I'll tell you, I agree with you a thousand percent on one thing you said, and that's about the, the closed doors on access to capital for Canadian startups. It's ridiculous. We work with so many. Really terrible. It, it's terrible, whether it's the bank or government agencies. I mean, they, it's all promises, promises, but nobody's delivering. So what piece of advice would you give to any entrepreneur trying to secure capital? Is there one trick, one secret you can share? You have to be completely tenacious in your endeavors to be able to raise capital in Canada. You have to talk to a lot of people. Friends and family are super important. Angel investors and networks are super important to be able to get your business up past that critical part. I'll give Canada props on one or two things. Um, we definitely need way more uh, institutional access, which that will take some time and I don't have any advice on that, but we need a lot more like funds that are supporting this sort of seed and pre-seed and up to Series A financing, which is the first part of it. But there's two organizations that are quasi-government in nature, uh, the Business Development Bank of Canada and the Export Development Bank of Canada. Uh, they've been very instrumental in the Canadian landscape to support entrepreneurs moving into those Series A financing. And prior to that, I know at least 100 entrepreneurs have access the early stage capital that they have to really build an incredible landscape for Canadian entrepreneurs to get through that. Now, is that ideal? No. But it's, it's actually great, and the government, that agency, and those banks um, are really good for you early-stage entrepreneurs to access that capital. My one piece of advice is this. Out of all of the money I've ever raised, and it's a lot uh, for all of the companies that I've started, um, 90, at least 90% of the time, the money comes within 100 miles hmm. of where your head office is. Local money. Okay, it's 90% of the time, let's call it in Canada, you know, within the province, right? Or, you know, very close to where you are. That's where I put my focus. And uh, every time I get into a pitch where it's too far away, 
it tends never to work out. And that's because people, they like to see their money at work very closely to where they are. That's my one piece of advice. Don't go too far. Focus in on where your core operations are and focus in on networks that uh, are like high net worth individuals and angels and um and that will get you through to like your Series A or your initial, you know, seed round capital that uh, get the idea up and get the revenue coming in and all the good stuff. I agree with you on on one thing in particular that you said, and that's the friends and family. They're so important because so many of our entrepreneurs, they may be younger, they may be older, but the fact is, it's only friends and families that might write those first checks, and you need to get some capital under you. Nicholas, I want to move on to my favorite part, our rapid-fire questions. These questions are submitted from across the continent now. Used to just be Ontario, Canada, now it's across the continent. So you ready? Favorite flow flavor? Cucumber mint. Because that's my brainchild. That's what started the whole flavor uh, combination. And it won best flavored water on the planet two years in a row. That's I love that it won best best flavor two years in a row. Favorite social media network? Instagram. I definitely like engage on Instagram. And more and more, I, I, I'm liking LinkedIn. Uh, I'm finding it very useful. Who or what inspires yeah. you? People that are wanting to change the world and make it a positive place. That's what inspires me. First real job. I don't think I've ever had one. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is it now. You're, you're, you're just a permanent entrepreneur. Jeez, I think this could be my first real job. This is your first real job, yeah. Early bird or night owl? Definitely early bird. I wake up at 5.30. What's one thing you never leave the house without? Well, I never leave my house without a flow in my hand, ever. Or for those that know, I also love Guru Energy Drink. Oh. Um, and so either I have one of those in my knapsack for a mid-afternoon uh, consumption. They got this great product that's an energy water as well, which I really like too. It's got no no sugar or anything in it, but I like both of them. So and, and you're either going to see me with a flow in my hand or a guru in my knapsack. And guru's another great Canadian product. Amazing out of Montreal. Best part about being a serial entrepreneur, Nicholas? The freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it. So you've got a high level of flexibility, but it comes at a cost of a 14-hour day. Well, I was going to say, can you really do what you want to do when you're accountable to shareholders, to investors, to well, banks? Well, you can, but you just got to you got to work harder and be flexible on your time. <laughs> what are you currently reading? Oh man, I just started Minimalistic. I think it's called How to Live Your Life in a Very Minimum Way and Get Maximum Output. Well, that sounds like fun. Except you'd have to get rid of so much stuff to live minimalistic. I don't think I, I know. Can, I don't think are I doing can. it. Like big people, like Elon Musk, are practicing this. It's called Essentialism. Essentialism. Okay, I can get that. What podcasts are you currently listening to? How I Built This with Guy Rez about how entrepreneurs building businesses. Okay, we're going to find that. You lived in many places. Your favorite city? Oh, New York City for sure. How do you clear your head? Sometimes I work out. Uh, sometimes I walk. I walk a lot, and I, so I feel like walking clears my head. Do you have a favorite meal, something you order in from Uber Eats regularly? Greek salad. <laughs> and here's the, this is the question that stumps all of our guests. What business or industry won't be around in five years? And our last guest said paper, so that's off the table. Yeah, okay, so the, you can't say paper. No, you can't say paper. <laughs> I'd like to say taxis. Taxis, because we're all going to have battery bikes, right? Something, man. We something's got to give with the taxis. You know, we got Uber. We got great, you know, uh, car shares. Maybe they won't be around in five years. So, Nicholas, one last question. What didn't I ask you in this almost hour conversation that I really should have asked you that that you need to tell us? 
Flow's going public. Oh, I'm so excited. But we didn't we didn't talk about that. Like we're moving out of adolescence and we're 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 becoming adults. Let's spend a minute on that. The 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 journey to go public. Like that's a whole other rigmarole of legislation and other investors and, and exchanges. Can you give us a, the elevator story of going public and why or why not? When we decided to go public, it was obviously the right time for Flow, but it is a really big step in a company's journey to be able to do that. So we did it very carefully. It was just the right time because we had built uh, a lot of assets. We have like well over $100 million worth of assets. So we have all this infrastructure and growth, and we really needed to take it to the next level, which requires much more capital to take this brand all the way. And so the public markets in the Canada were the right move for us. So, you know, knock on wood, the next time you talk to me, we'll have a vibrantly trading, amazing company taking over the world and making it a better place. I'm sure we will. But if we have a startup up there, let's say in Temiskaming, and this guy is ready to rock it, he's done everything, he wants to go public, what's the cautionary note? And then we'll let you go. The cautionary note is it's a very large undertaking for the team, millions of dollars uh, in expenses to be able to do it. And is it the right time? You know, general rule of thumb, you know, over 50 million U.S. in revenue and, you know, moving towards 100 would be the, the right time. Having a very stable user base. And if it's a startup company, it's got to have a lot of patents and a lot of things and it needs a lot of juice in it. And if it's a tech company, generally speaking, you, you don't want to be too early with these with these things. You want to be just right on the time where you need the growth capital. And it becomes, you know, very obvious because after you're done series A through D financing, you know, the next one is series E, which is exit or take the company public. So, you know, seven years and all the capital raised, that's really when you start to say, okay, how do I need to take this to the next level? And it should be a pretty obvious thing. Do you need to access public capital or do you need to, you know, find a larger partner? It's all very exciting. When I see Sean Mendez in a cool. video and Black Eyed Peas throwing flow around the stage, it's uh, it's quite unbelievable what you've accomplished. Nicholas Richenbach, founder and executive chairman, Flow Alkaline Spring Water, flowhydration.ca. Nicholas, thank you for being a guest on the Movers and Shakers podcast. Thank you, Robert. And that's a wrap for this episode of the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at dmz.ryerson.ca for more tips and tools designed to support your business. Until next time.